Talk of the Town is a public service program produced by Midwest Family Springfield, airing Sunday morning on 92.7 WMAY, 98.7 WNNS, 97.7 WQLZ, and 102.5 The Lake. The mission of the show is to provide you with new information on the great organizations and great people in the Springfield area who work hard to make things easier for others throughout our community and to make Springfield a better place to live. The intent of this program is to be timely, topical, to entertain and to inform talk of the town trent nelson good morning and what a wonderful morning it is to learn a little bit about what's going on across the community across springfield across Sangamon county across central illinois we've got lots going on what you ask well we have abraham lincoln presidential library and museum director christina shutt on to discuss all of the wonderful things happening at the museum we have whether it be that which you can go see at the museum or that which is around and working along with the museum there is a lot to offer from the abraham lincoln presidential library and museum this holiday season and of course we also had our great friend jim watts of impact life here to discuss the ever-pressing need for blood across our community. And it's not just O, folks. It's A, A, B, B. Everyone who can is, of course, welcome to donate the gift of life this holiday season and, of course, beyond. A lot of awesome stuff. Hope you enjoyed Thanksgiving. Have a little bit of leftovers if there's still some left. Some coffee. Donut. Sit back and relax. Talk of the town, Trent Nelson. Let's go. Talk of the town, Trent Nelson, and we're back at it again, folks. We have, well, we have lots of history to talk about, always. But this time, it's not just me. <laughs> this time, we have a very special guest, a brilliant individual I've had the pleasure of meeting just a single time prior to our discussion today. Director Christina Shutt, the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. Yes, thanks for having me today, Trent. We love company. You can ask, you can ask anyone that knows us here. We get lonely. Uh, and we have lots of questions. And I think that the first order, the first question is actually about you. Okay. Would you tell us, please, about yourself, Director, and, and your passion for uh, history, for the community, and for uh, education? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my background is really in libraries and museums. Uh, I actually have two master's degrees, one in archives management and library science, and the other in history. So uh, I literally went to school to do what I get to do, which is really cool. And I'm really fortunate that I get to do something that I absolutely love, which is teach the public and share with the public the rich history that is Illinois and Abraham Lincoln. I have been so fortunate over the last two and a half years to get to know a lot of people and get to meet more each and every day in our community who truly just care about Illinois and they want to make Illinois um, not only the best place to live, work, and play, but really a place that we can showcase um, the incredible history and the rich history that we have in the state. And so that's what I get to do each and every day, which pretty much makes it like the best job ever. And then occasionally I even get to welcome other people. Um, we recently had Christopher Jackson from Hamilton fame for those history nerds out there, uh, history theater nerds, right? And so we get to welcome all sorts of 
Illinoisans and and share a little bit of their story as well when we're here. So again, it's one of the coolest jobs um, that I think exists, and I'm so fortunate that I get to um, to represent this history. Your passion is just effervescent, and I think our listeners uh, would be forgiven if they suspected that you haven't even worked in two and a half years. That's how happy you are. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely a lot of work. <laughs> it, it's a fun job. It's something that I enjoy going to. But, you know, I, I don't want to dismiss the fact that it is a lot of hard work. Like Our team works incredibly hard each and every day to make a, um, as we call it, an amazing experience for our guests. Just this morning, we're welcoming fourth graders into the building. And people may not realize, but our volunteers, for example, train for 20 hours before they even come onto the floor of the museum to teach people and learn about Lincoln and learn about Illinois history and learn about all the different things that we do there. And then they do tons of continuing education. So, you know, yes, we absolutely have fun, but we also really do work hard to bring you, our visitor, the best experience possible. And of course, we just, we know how hard you all work down there. And again, it's worth considering for a moment how what we see when we go into the museum and the library is but the surface of the hard work and dedication that it takes to facilitate everything that you guys offer down there. Absolutely. I mean, folks may not realize that, for example, we have over 120 different types of light bulbs in our building. And um, there are lots of different styles and types of light bulbs. And we have a team whose whole job is to check all of those bulbs and to maintain them to make sure that our theaters operate as they should. When you come and you see a show that the cannons go off in the theater just like they're supposed to. So, I mean, when we talk about, again, all of the behind the scenes work that happens, and that starts very early in the morning at the museum. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about. It's things like the work our engineers do, or our buildings and grounds um, take care of, of making sure that the snow is cleared off the street um, and that the sidewalks are salted so that um, that when visitors come, that's not what they have to think about, that their, their main focus can be on just having a great experience. Absolutely brilliant. And across the time that I've interviewed individuals for the various programs, certainly different Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum staff members have come and spoken to me, to us as it were. We've learned about obelisks. We've learned about ambrotypes. Director Shutt, what will you teach us today? <laughs> well, um, you know, I'll tell you, we have a wealth of resources. You know, we're responsible for over 13 million items that document the state and really the nation's history. We have items from every U.S. president. So we have a really big collection, a really big pool of things to pick from. But I, I have to say one of the things I'm most excited about is that starting on November 17th, we will unveil um, the Gettysburg Address. And for many people who may not realize, this is the 160th anniversary of the Gettysburg Address. And in just 272 words, Lincoln delivered just a, a poignant and powerful and probably one of the most quoted speeches in the world at the dedication of the Gettysburg National Cemetery. And so we'll unveil our version, our edition, which was written in Lincoln's own hand for the public to see. And I'm it's one of my favorite moments of the year um, that we get to do this because just sharing with people the rich history, sharing with them, you know, Abraham Lincoln's kind of publicly talking about this change and turn in the war, I think is just so impactful and, and incredible. So let's piggyback off of that. What 
in your estimation, Director, what are perhaps some of the reasons why this speech is so beloved, so quoted, uh, not only across our own country, but across the planet? Well, I think to understand that, one of the things that might be helpful for people to know is that Lincoln wasn't even the main speaker for the day. He was supposed to deliver some remarks, but ultimately he wasn't the kind of keynote headline speaker. That was a gentleman named Edward Everett, who was you know, a really well-known speaker, someone who um, he had been president of Harvard College. He traveled on a speaker circuit, um, just well-known guy. And he spoke for uh, just over two hours um, compared to, of course, Lincoln's two minutes, about two and a half minutes um, that Lincoln spends on on his remarks. And Lincoln, in 272 words, captures whatever it is trying to capture, but ultimately it takes him two hours to get there. Um, and in fact, Everett is so moved by Lincoln's remarks that he asks Lincoln if he'll write them down for him because he wants to um, bind his remarks and put it in a book to sell it um, a sanitarium fair. These things were very popular at the time to raise money for wounded soldiers. And so Everett's going to bind his remarks and, of course, put Lincoln's uh, along with it. Uh, and so that's the edition that we have. In fact, we have Everett's original remarks, which uh, for folks who are paying attention are pages 1 through 56. And on pages 57 and 58 are the Gettysburg Address. And so if you look, uh, if you come to the museum and you see our version, you can actually just very faintly see at the top corners, pages 57 and 58. And so I think that's one of the things that, again, tells the story of Gettysburg. It, it's part of what makes it special. Uh, and then, of course, it ends up in our hands because um, s- school children in the 1940s um, put together their pennies and nickels and raise money um, to purchase this when when the document goes up at, at auction. And they purchase it to for the state of Illinois. Um, and of course, they get a little bit of help from Marshall Fields. But the students raise the bulk of the money for it, um, over $50,000. And again, I think that's so poignant because it, it speaks to how important that document is to our state, to our nation, and why ultimately it should be preserved for the public into the foreseeable future. The children, they're just incredible. Uh, What can't the children accomplish? Uh, (laughs) They can purchase the Gettysburg Address. That is something that, for our listeners, for anyone who's paying attention, next time somebody says that something is impossible, you need to just tell them that children literally purchased the Gettysburg Address. They absolutely did. And again, I think that speaks to the power of even that children recognize how important these words are, that when Lincoln's talking about imagining a new birth of freedom, they understood the poignancy of those words. And again, felt like it should be preserved in the public sphere for for the future, for future children to be able to come in and see and uh, meditate on these words. Talk of the town, Trent Nelson, Director Christina Schutt, the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. Such a pleasure to have you on this morning. I think to some it's surprising to think that children would, would see this, but you know, you think about it for a second, and children are those individuals, that constituency, that uh, has the passion to dream still. And so, you know, these words from uh, this daringly empathetic gentlemen for his time. They would uh, ring true in the minds of the young who think that anything is possible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that we as a museum have really taken hold of is the idea of how can we invest in children? Um, how can we make a commitment not just to adults, right? That history is just not for adults who can read the labels, but how can we make an investment in children? And so I'm so excited that in the next few years, we'll be opening a, a children's exhibit, actually, talking about democracy and helping kids to understand the value of citizenship and and what it means to be a good 
good citizen even before they get in the voting booth. Um, and we're doing that again as this continuation of Lincoln's legacy, right? His values for things like democracy and education, um, and and how can we can continue that for today's ch- children, right? And make it meaningful and impactful for them. So. Between that, between things like if people go to our website, uh, presidentlincoln.illinois.gov, you'll see um, teacher guides. So we want to support teachers who are in the classrooms working with kids. They'll see teacher guides there that they can use that are totally free of charge, um, no charge for it, free to use that have high-resolution scans of Gettysburg that put it in context from our historians. And so we want to, again, provide that as a resource to people to help them understand more about the uh, importance of this document uh, for themselves. As Komensky said, as Plato said in so many words, we must, as a society, engage children in in learning in a way that is intoxicating for them. We must make learning fun so that throughout the course of the rest of our lives, learning can be perceived as being fun instead of a chore. And and we're certainly grateful that the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum uh, looks to do that uh, every day uh, with the young, with individuals my age. not telling you how old I am, though older, etc. Now, before we let you go, you are a busy individual. And again, we are so thankful that you found some time to hang out with us this morning. We need more, Director (laughs) Shutt. We need more. What else can the people enjoy if they go down to that big, beautiful building, both on both sides of the street? What can they find that maybe they don't know about yet? Well, we're so excited to be a partner again in the downtown holiday walks this year. So if you're looking for things to do for your family on Wednesdays and Saturday from basically Thanksgiving uh, until Christmas, come down, um, come downtown, uh, shop at the local shops, grab a bite to eat, and then come by the museum from 4 to 7, where we will be free of charge. And we will um, be partnering again this year with the Copper Coin Ballet to produce the Nutcracker for folks to see. And it was super popular last year. I think tickets were selling out in like 10 minutes, which was just wild to me. But we're just so glad to be partners with the Copper Coin Ballet again and to um, promote holiday walks and promote the holiday season. It's just a great opportunity for people to, to come out and celebrate. We'll have a wonderful light display in the park and just lots of festive things. Uh, in addition, we will actually, for this year, um, we're so excited that we'll be hosting the uh, Veterans Tree for Gold Star families as well. So just something else that we're doing. And of course, people can um, also see our exhibit, Here I Have Lived, before the end of the year. Um, in January, it'll go away. And so it's a great exhibit to come and see and to participate in and to learn about 39 people who have made their home here in Illinois and their unique and diverse stories. So it's something I'm especially proud of and just really excited for all of the the great kind of festive things this season. You heard it here, folks. There is just an incredible amount to do uh, at and around the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. Go and learn a little bit about Abe. Okay, go go take uh, some holiday walks. Go enjoy some holiday cheer. And learn about Richard Pryor, too. Bet you didn't think you could learn about Richard Pryor at oh, the Abraham Lincoln Presidential and Museum. Tina Turner and Robert Lincoln and Ida B. Wells. I mean, we have a wealth of people in that exhibit. Plus, you can see like an early, I want to say like kind of RV prototype, like literally in the museum. So if you ever wondered if we could fit a car in the museum, come see that. <laughs> Talk of the town. Trent Nelson, we're answering questions you never even thought you had this morning. We were just hanging out with Director Christina Shutt, the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum, and we got to let her go, though. Thank you so much for spending some time with us, educating us, and we'd love to have you back. Well, thanks for inviting me to be with you today. Absolutely. Our pleasure. Talk of the town, Trent Nelson. Go explore a bit of history 
at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. Talk of the town, Trent Nelson. Good morning. We have great friends, as always, with us. And today, our great friends, uh, they want to talk about blood. It's nothing strange or weird, though, I promise. Impact Life, who you know, if you listen to our programs, they're frequent flyers to some degree. We enjoy good friends, and they are good friends. They're here, represented by Mr. Jim Watts, and nearing the holiday season, things can become a little bit tricky because while everyone who needs blood still needs blood, there are many people who are traveling, who are on holiday, maybe having a little bit too much fun to think about donating blood, but we need blood. Jim Watts, good morning. Thank you for coming down and joining us. Good morning. As always, thanks for having me. Well, we love to talk about the community, and the community is made up of people, and people consist to some degree of blood. And so... (laughs) A little bit. Right. I remember school. So with that being said, Jim, educate us a bit about why this time of year is both so vital and why there's a bit of scarcity sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it may seem like we're always saying there's a, there's always a need for blood. There's always a need for blood. And, and there is truth in that because there is always a need for blood. We always need people to come out. But we like to highlight certain times of the year. And, and one of those is coming up upon us, of course, and that being the holidays. So, you know, whenever we, we close for a holiday, so our employees can go spend it with friends and family, that takes a whole day of operations out. And so we can't collect the, those units of blood, of course, on, on those days. So uh, during the week of Thanksgiving, we'll see a dip of about 20% of our collections because of the holiday. But, you know, as you were saying, people still have transfusion needs. So, you know, cancer patients are still receiving those, those blood products, obviously traumas coming in, whatever the case may be, there's still the same need for blood no matter the day of the year. As in blood, as in many other walks of life, I dip, you dip, we dip. That's that's absolutely true. Right? We all need blood for different reasons, and many never know when they will need blood. But for those who consistently know that they need transfusions or some different type of procedure requiring blood, it is vital, if you can, to go out to any of the Impact Life sites, whether fixed, brick and mortar, or mobile. Give the gift of life. But, Jim, we often talk about O-blood. Yeah, the Uh, universal donor. The universal donor. But this time, Jim, I think we need to talk a little bit about the universal recipient as well as good old A and B. Yeah, absolutely. So really all blood types are important, you know, and we do talk about the O's a lot. And there's reason for that. Uh, If someone comes in for a trauma and we don't know their blood type yet at the hospital, they're going to receive uh, an O product uh, because that's the safest for them until they can figure out what their blood type is and then get them switched over to that blood type. But we have just as many people coming in that are A positive, A negative, AB positive, AB negative, um, you know, in all the blood types. So I don't want to ever feel left out. We, we truly need all blood types to come out. And, and we do talk a little bit more about those O's just because of how important they are. But we need all blood types for sure. I am an O. And, you do? And, and it's useful to be able to give your blood to everyone. But of course, there is the, uh, the juxtaposition that we also need the blood and we can only take that blood. Yeah. As an O negative person myself, uh, yeah, it, it feels great that my blood can go to anybody, but I can only receive O negative blood myself. So, you know, this, this is just selfish when I ask all the o, those O negatives to, to go out there and donate blood. Because even though we talk about the, the scheduled uh, surgeries and transfusions, uh, Right. We, we never know when something's going to happen, uh, when you could use a, a blood product or a friend or a family or maybe it's someone you, you never even know. Uh, but but those happen. I mean, I mean, each week we have to give and provide to our hospitals thirty six hundred products of blood. That's a lot. Unbelievable quantity. And 
Of course, when we hear numbers like that, sometimes we become overwhelmed by the sheer magnitude, right? But those are all humans who gave blood. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, it, it is a large number, but it, it does help put it into perspective. You know, it's not like we're just looking for five people this week to come give blood. No, we need a lot of people. And, and don't get me wrong. We have a tremendous donor base, regular donors who come in like clockwork. Uh, you know, we set up at a lot of businesses here in town. We go six times a year. They come out every time and donate blood. Or they're going to our donor center and donating whole blood or platelets. I mean, our platelet donors that we have are amazing. You know, they will, they will be in the chair for two, two and a half hours donating platelets every other week. You know, and that is dedication. So I, I, I want to give great props to those people. I don't want it to sound like we, we don't have any donors whatsoever because that's not the case. But I, I think our message and when we're talking is, is try to convince those who are or maybe a little skeptical or not sure or think, oh, there's always other people to donate blood. You know, I don't need to or someone who's never given blood. I, I'm talking to you. <laughs> you know, we, we want we want to see you come out, you know, give it a shot. Um, come out and donate blood. Talk of the town. Trent Nelson here with Jim Watts of Impact Life talking about how necessary giving blood is and how necessary, of course, this might sound a bit goofy, how necessary blood is. To your point, Jim, it's easy to say, well, there's somebody else. I mean, you know, there are you know, 36,000 people, perhaps, right? There are thousands of people, hundreds of thousands, right? But to do a brief intellectual thought experiment, if each person gave blood, each person across the country gave blood, each, perhaps even across the world. This is this is a thought experiment. It could be as broad or as right. minor as we'd like. We would not have these problems. Not even close. Because not- everyone would be giving blood and everyone would not need the blood at the same rate that they were giving it at. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And uh, we know there are a variety of reasons why people may not or choose not to give blood, and we can get into that. But if everyone who was eligible and able to give blood gave blood, we wouldn't have the shortages that we do. Look at other countries and and what they do. You know, European countries have a 15-day supply. We feel comfortable with a five-day supply, um, but a lot of days we're sitting at uh, three, two, maybe even a one-day supply. And so that hits hard sometimes. A one to two to three day supply when in many European countries, as you noted, 15 day. Now, 15 days, that's just a bit over two weeks by my calculations. And three days is but 72 hours. Why do we allow our society to live in this sort of perpetual circumstance? Well, gosh, I think that's a really deep question. I think we could really get into a lot of of pieces of this. But I I think in the U.S. we're different than a lot of parts of the the world. But I, I think sometimes until it really affects someone personally, that's when we see some great, wonderful advocates in promoting blood donation. And some of it is, you know, getting used to uh, donating blood when you're young. And so that's why we try so hard to get into the high schools and even elementary and junior high schools to talk about blood donation. Um, we'll go into classes and do blood typing and, of course, host our blood drives. That's our, our purpose for that, not only to get the units of blood, of course, but we want to make these lifelong donors. Um, you know, in other countries as well, um, you know, I, I think it's in, in Mexico, if, if you need a blood transfusion, it's kind of you're up to your on your own. You, you go find the family members who, who have and can donate blood for the procedures that you need done. So it's done on a variety of ways across the world. And I think there are a lot of reasons that probably play into why we have a lower day supply of blood versus other parts. Sure. And to your point, Jim, as a younger person, as a child, I remember the organizations coming into the schools and setting up in the gym and many children want to donate blood at that time um, to miss a class or two. Absolutely. Um, but like you said, when you get used to it, when you kind of get comfortable with it and you realize what you're actually doing for others, 
you, you donate blood and you feel good about it and you donate platelets and you do the whole thing where you sit there and they take it out and then they strain it right and then they put it back in. and it's a whole thing but it's not a big deal and you come to find yourself with a sense of pride in, in helping your community. And, and we hear that a lot from people who have never donated blood or after they donate for the first time. Um, it was a couple months ago, I was at a blood drive and we had a young lady donate for the very first time at the age of 81 years old. Unbelievable. And, and, you know, she said that she knew, you know, of course, people who donated all the time and, and she just she just never did. And one of her grandkids um, asked if she would come along and, and, and donate blood. She said, sure, why not? You know, we hear a lot of times people say, well, I've never been asked to donate blood. Well, this is my ask. This is my ask for you. And a lot of times after someone donates, they, they realize, gosh, that, that really wasn't that hard. That, that didn't hurt like I thought it was going to or whatever the case may be. You know, we, we talk about when you come in to give blood, you know, give 45, 60 minutes for the process. You're, you're only actually giving blood for about maybe 10 minutes of it. Right. right? So, you know, it, it's, um, I think, battling the perception of, of what it's going to be. And, you know, that's our job to, to make it as easy as possible for you. So, you know, we just encourage you, if you've never given blood, you know, as, as you're coming up into the holidays, you're talking about things to be thankful for. You know, if, if you've never needed a blood transfusion, be thankful for that. And come give that to someone else. Or if you have, or a family member has, if you could be thankful so much to give that back and to give that gift this holiday season. You heard Jim Watts here, folks. Give the gift of life this season, whether you've been affected intimately, personally, uh, in a first-hand basis, or whether from secondary circumstances. But as an aside, I would encourage all of our listeners not to hesitate or wait until the time when someone that they know or love needs this. Be doing it before, because we never know what's going to come. We never know what's in our story, and so we should be preparing as though any and all things might be in our story, just as any and all things are in other people's stories. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we know that not everyone physically can give blood, right? Not, not 100% of the population can give blood, but, but it is a higher percentage than one donates or who do donate. So I, I guess what I would ask is if, if there's some reason why you can't give blood, you can still be an advocate, you know, share on social media when there's a blood drive coming up in your area. So whether you're in Springfield here or Rochester, Chatham, wherever you are, and you see something about a blood drive, you know, share that information. If you have questions on whether or not you can donate blood, reach out to us. So many things have changed over the years, and we've talked about eligibility before um, and, and who maybe couldn't donate before but can donate now. And that's a wide variety of things from maybe you used to live in Europe in the 90s and this, you know, mad cow scare um, or, or, or maybe you're, you're diabetic or you've had cancer before. It goes on and on. You know, FDA is, is who regulates the blood industry, and they're always looking at science to make it better. It's a slow process, right? I mean, we're, we're talking the federal government involved, so it's, it's a slow process. But we see changes. And so we just ask, you know, give us a call. If you're not sure, give us a call. People often think that um, the government runs slowly because it's filled with incompetence. Plato would tell you, and I will also break you the news, that while some may be incompetent, the vehicle is designed to drive at the pace it's going. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, some of the things like the the changes for uh, gained bisexual men, that has been, the talks of that and studies for that have been going on for, for decades. Um, because at the end of the day, right, they are charged and tasked with maintaining a safe and adequate blood supply. And for them to make any changes on anything, right, think about the responsibility to make sure that that blood is safe. That's their job. And so we all want to make sure that they do their job well. It's a matter of life and death. It really is. Talk of the town, Trent Nelson, here with Jim Watts of Impact Life. We're talking about blood. We're talking about uh, the changes in eligibility. We're speaking about the need for blood this holiday season. 
we're talking about tearing down some of the stigmas that our, our fellows throughout the community might sometimes feel uh, as it relates to giving blood. We're certainly thankful for Jim Watts for coming down and spending some time with us. Before we let you go, Jim, you're a busy fella. We know this. We appreciate you. Do you have anything else that the community needs to hear? Yeah, I think I'd give one more plug for um, obviously not only donating blood, um, but we're always looking for groups to host blood drives. So whether maybe we used to come to your, your, your business before the pandemic and then that slowed everything down. Or maybe your church has never hosted um, or place of worship and, and you want to do that. Or you're a part of a, a, a club or whatever the case may be. Give us a call. You can call us, go on our website, uh, fill out information about hosting a blood drive. We need more mobile blood drives here in the Springfield area and beyond. So we would love to see some more partnerships out there. And don't get me wrong, we already have great partnerships with so many businesses here in town, but we're always looking for more, always looking for more ways to get new donors in and share the gift of life. I'll make it cheesy at the end. You can never get enough friends, Jim Watts. We know this here on our programs, and and I think our listeners understand that as it relates to blood, we really could use every business being a mobile site to some degree. Absolutely. Jim Watts, Impact Life, we appreciate you. Thanks for coming down, pal. Thanks, Trent. Pleasure's all ours. Talk of the town, Trent Nelson. Give some blood, be merry, be safe. Thanks for listening to Talk of the Town. We'll be back next Sunday morning. Talk of the Town is a public service of Midwest Family Springfield. If you have any questions about today's program or previous programs, contact the show at MidwestFamilySPI.com slash Talk of the Town or call Midwest Family Springfield at 217-629-7077.